All right, we're here talking about what you can do with Thanksgiving leftovers. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the show. We got some awesome guests. I'm Ray Wong, one of the uh, co-hosts here for Disrupt TV. You're joined by L, our awesome producer, and uh, Bala Ashar, co-founder and co-host here at Disrupt TV. So let's do a quick rundown with our guests today. Um, we're going to go in reverse order. I'll start with John, go to Flory, Renee, um, and tell us, like, where are you calling from? Uh, kind of what you're talking about today. and. Uh, any, any any Thanksgiving leftover tips? So real quick, <laughs> John. Great. Well, thank you, Ray. Uh, I'm John Bullock. I'm CIO of Cosmopolitan. I'm coming from Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, you know, my, my Thanksgiving tips would be to uh, finish them soon. Don't 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 keep them a long time. You make that <laughs> Thanksgiving. If they still awesome. refrigerator after a week, you know, I don't know. You know, they might be dog food. Okay, and we're going to talk about post-pandemic and pandemic and what you guys are doing right at the Yeah, we'll you know, talk about hospitality. Yeah, hospitality, what's happening in Las Vegas. You know, it's a little microcosm. There's definitely demand out there. We see people come. Uh, what we have to do to keep um, both our, our uh, employees and our customers safe. Awesome. All right, very cool. Flory, on your end. Welcome. Hey, guys. I'm Flory Marquez. I'm calling in from Brooklyn, New York, and I am the founder of BlockFi. We are a financial products company. And the really interesting thing about what we do is we make financial products backed by crypto. So we offer three products. And the most interesting one that's live right now is an interest account where you can get 8.6% on Ooh. assets deposited with us, which Ooh. is really cool where, you know, most banking services right now offer you like less than 1%. So what we're going to talk about is all the excitement in the crypto markets right now, a little bit about, you know, being an entrepreneur and how to get these things started. And in terms of turkey tips, um, I think the coolest leftover I made with all of the extra turkey I had from my like really small Thanksgiving get together was a really sweet turkey soup with like turkey bone broth. Ooh. All right. Thank you. All right, Renee. Hey, well, thanks for having me here. So my name's <clears throat> Renee Lassert, the founder of CEO of Bill.com. Uh, I'm here to talk about SMBs and, you know, they deserve innovation too. And we spend all of our time at Bill.com thinking about how to innovate and deliver for the SMB so they can get back to them where they do best. So I'm coming from San Jose, our new headquarters, which is mostly empty because of the pandemic. And as far as turkey uh, tips, I would actually go with the Foro. So uh, one thing we would add to our turkey bone soup is cilantro. So if you haven't done that yet, that actually gives it a nice little flavor. All right, very cool. Now let's do the honors. Let's get going. All right. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. Uh, I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Uh, send us your questions live and we'll do our best to answer them. And you can use hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business. He's a regular contributor to ZDNet, Harvard Business Review. He's often on technology, uh, TV news on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg. He's a global sought-after keynote speaker and one of the top features you can follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot with my awesome co-host, Bala Asher. As he mentioned, he's the chief digital evangelist at Salesforce, more importantly. Uh, he's an author himself. He's on business TV, and he's giving lots of keynotes. But if you follow him on Twitter at B-A-L-A-A-F-S-H-A-R, you know he's one of the top 
people to follow from CMOs, CEOs, CIOs, and other folks looking for innovation and inspiration. So thanks a lot for being on the show. And before we begin, the show is sponsored by Robots and Pencils. Um, if you're looking for innovation, looking for design, please check them out. Uh, you can find them on their website and also at Robots and Pencils. So thanks a lot for sponsoring the show. Now, before we begin, who do we have today? Who's going on first, Vala? It's an honor for us to have Rene Lassert, CEO and founder of Bill.com. Uh, Rene is a fintech entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Bill.com, one of the nation's leading business payments networks. At Bill.com, Rene works with some of the nation's largest banks and accounting firms to redefine how business payments are made. Rene founded Bill.com in 2006 after recognizing that business owners needed a way to simplify payments so they could focus on their business. Uh, prior to Bill.com, Renee founded PayCycle, the first and largest online payroll solution, which was acquired by Intuit in 2009. For seven years in a row, he's been named one of the 100 most influential people in the accounting industry by Accounting Today. Please follow Renee on Twitter at R-L-A-C-E-R-T-E. Welcome, Renee, to the show. Well, thank you, Allah, and thank you, Ray. Looking forward to the conversation today. Hey, so excited to see you here, and you know, congratulations on the new headquarters. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, I think that moved from Palo Alto to San Jose. Hopefully, saved you some time on the way there. For me, it's about six and one half a dozen. Uh, it's going to save our employees a lot of time. So that that's good. Mm -hmm. That is amazing, right? And you know, a lot of this is really, I mean, when you think about the founding of your company, it's been about employees. It's about people. It's about being the SMB champion that's out there. Um, Talk about it. Talk about what SMBs had to face um, before things like Build.com came about. Yeah, and, and actually, you know, today, 90% of businesses rely on paper checks as the primary form of payment. If I were to ask either of you guys or any of the consumers out there watching if that check was the primary form of payment, they'd say no. They might still have some, but it's not the primary form of payment. And so that goes back to everything I learned as a kid growing up. So I come from entrepreneurs. My parents and grandparents had a lot of businesses, all of them small, mid-sized businesses that served as other SMBs. And what I saw is that, you know, cash is king. You gotta stretch out the payables and pull in the receivables. And the process of actually making that happen was walking around the office. It was talking to employees. It was talking to buyers, talking to suppliers, looking in filing cabinets. And so what business is doing today without Bill.com is they have a very painful manual process that is taking them a lot of time. And that time is something that they don't have. You know, businesses deserve innovation. It's why I started the company is I believe that businesses, SMBs deserve innovation, that they have a right to the technology platforms that enterprise companies have and consumers have, but nobody's been doing that for them. So I focus on how do we automate processes that nobody else has automated before? So that's, that's everything that we do. Uh, ultimately, we take the back office and we put it in the back pocket. I mean, everything that we've done in the business is on my phone for 14 years. I can look wow. at every invoice, every bill, every customer interaction. It's all there. I can be anywhere in the world in this time of COVID. That's extremely valuable. It's great to see, Renee, that you know most companies traditionally focus on an enterprise, but Bill.com is focused and it's become a champion for small, medium businesses. Why should SMBs care about technology? And you know, how does a you know mom and pop bakery store, cookie store, need technology to 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 help delight their, their customers and employees and grow. You know, I think one of the things I learned uh, watching my parents and grandparents build their SMBs and serving others is how 
important uh, the entrepreneur's job is to be everything, right? Yes, you're the CEO, but you're also the chief bottle washer. And you look at the everything in between, you have to do all of it. You have to be willing to do all of it. And you, that means you don't have time. That mean, And you have other demands. Obviously, people have families and, and you care about your employees like families. So now you're thinking about their families. So you just don't have time. So the reason they should care about technology is technology simplifies life. Everything that we do at Bill.com is about the simplification. And the ultimate simplification is elimination. So we eliminate steps from every part of the back office that we can. There's no more data entry. There's no more filing. There's no more filing cabinet. There's no more sticky notes. There's no more check writing. There's no more reconciliation with the banks. What? Like, what? I need Iron Mountain now. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just it's me. That's why they need it, right? SMBs, the mom pops, they have too, uh, too many more important things to do than worrying about filing and writing checks. Yeah, no, this is amazing this what is. you've done and, and also the, the, the company you've built. I mean, you guys debuted yeah. at about $36, on the, uh, $36 in your IPO and you're now almost 4X um, because of the tremendous growth. Um, when we think about the pandemic and what's happened, I mean, you know, these services probably have been accelerated. Talk about what has happened um, as an inflection point for you guys in terms of how SMBs are changing the way they do business. Because you're right, I mean, I still have paper checks. I consider myself an SMB. I yeah. rarely use it. I think we moved everything to ACH like over the last six months, so. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of businesses have done. And what we saw in the beginning of the pandemic was a, a very immediate need that businesses had. They had this, this uh, I guess, so much, maybe it's pent up demand, but a lot of it was just, we had this need to be able to actually satisfy and be able to work from anywhere. So we saw an immediate lift. And so when we announced our quarterly earnings for uh, our fourth quarter, which was Q2 of the calendar, we had seen good demand filled up there. We also did see some attrition, but one of the things that we did, you know, as a champion of SMBs is we said, look, you know, if you have an issue because of the pandemic and your revenues change, give us a call, reach out, we'll have discounted pricing for you. You know, we extended our office hours. So knowing that businesses were now working later in the night because they were doing homeschooling during the day, right? Uh, we created an offer for new businesses that just needed to come in and, and actually take advantage of our platform. And all those things were because we care deeply about the SMB. And what we believe is that this, this uh, COVID experience is actually changing how business thinks about doing business. Uh, I don't think anybody thinks that we're going to go back to normal that was before. I think the hybrid environment is what everybody I know is talking about. And how do you get more flexible and letting people work from wherever that allows you to draw the best talent from wherever and allows people to manage their lives with more flexibility. And I think that's going to put more pressure on digital transformation. And we're leading digital transformation in the financial process automation category. Renee, we have a lot of entrepreneurs, startup founders that have been guests and watched the show. So can you give them a, a sense of uh, SMB's contribution to the large portion of US GDP, you know, in terms of, and maybe you could do that in terms of, you know, what's your market opportunity and why is the SMB market, in, in addition to just helping small businesses grow, what's the size in terms yeah. of contribution? What's to the TAM? Yeah, so we have around 100,000 customers today. Uh, there are 6 million businesses in the U.S. that have employees. And so when we think about the TAM, we think about the employers out there because that means they have enough complexity that they're thinking about you know, some automation tools. So 100,000 to 6 million, that tells you how many businesses. SMBs today, those 6 million generate 50% of the GDP in this country. 
And so there's a tremendous amount of, of I think, economic value created from the SMB. But I also think there's a really important fact that people often forget is that you know SMBs are the lifeblood to this country, mm -hmm. cash is their oxygen, but they're the lifeblood to the country because not just the economic value, but because of the people. SMBs treat their employees differently. They think about them like family. They care deeply about them. And I saw that and I got that passion from my parents you know, I, and my grandparents. I saw what they did every day and how they thought about the employees and how they cared about their employees' kids. Like All that stuff is what every SMB does. These are small communities. You go into the SMB environment, you're working and serving your community. And that that is part of the lifeblood of this country is that these people that have taken the risk to go start something, they really care deeply and they want to make a difference to help their communities. That's amazing. 50% of GDP, I'm assuming, is between 80-90% of employment uh, with six million. And it's probably still around 50% of employment too, because okay. large companies have so many employees, right? Sure, so. sure, sure. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, no, this is this is interesting, right? When we think about this this market in general, I mean, you're you've pioneered payments automation, you've taken it to, to the next step. Where do we go from here? What are the other areas that you're thinking about expanding into in terms of like you know capabilities? Because um, what we've seen in this pandemic is that there's a whole bunch of other digitization that's about to happen and automation. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I always step back and say, what is financial process automation? What are the things that we can do around that? And so the first thing that we've done is payables and receivables. We make it really easy to pay your suppliers. We make it really easy to invoice your customers, to have a portal that connects those two. The 100,000 businesses that are on the platform uh, interact with two and a half million that are on our network for payments to exchange. And so that gives you the example of you know, what else we can do is we can help businesses get paid faster. And so some of the things that we've done recently in the last few years is we've enabled uh, you know, ACH and international payments uh, for our customers. We've enabled virtual card payments. We're enabling real-time payments where supplier, let's say today is Friday, it is Friday, and you get a message saying you've been paid by bill.com, the money is coming next week. Do you want it now? We have the ability to do real-time payments right now if somebody wants it right now, and you know they're willing to uh, you know pay for it because there is a fee, there is some risk there for us then we'll move the money right now into their bank account. And so that's an example of how we extend, but ultimately we're gonna be thinking about how do we get into and support spend management, expense management, uh, more AR tools and services. We've done more AP mm -hmm. stuff in the past. Ultimately, you know, I think there's lots of financial process automation on, on uh, the HR and payroll opportunities still. So lots of things for us to, to look into. Are you going to get into fraud and AI as well to reduce the risk as well for, for some of the SMBs? Because they're the ones that most at risk when you see some of these small crimes that are under certain thresholds that, you know, that people actually go under the radar for. Yeah. yeah. So what we one of the things that we've built into our platform is this ability to manage all the money movement we do. So just a data point here, well over $100 billion a year is what we move today. And we move wow. that. 100, 100 billion, 100 billion. 100 billion. Uh, and and we're just, like I said at the beginning, 100,000 businesses, there's 6 million to go, right? And so that ability for us to kind of understand and manage uh, the fraud and the risk and the security and credit, all that is something that we do well. And so ultimately, just using our service eliminates fraud for business. So the most common form of fraud in this country is writing a check. When you write a check, everybody sees your bank information on that check. If you use bill.com, nobody ever knows your bank account information, including your employees. If you're the owner, Ray, you're the owner of your business. And if you have an accountant even helping you, you can use bill.com and nobody will ever know your bank account other than you. 
And that creates a, you know, a, a protection layer. And that allows us to do lots of security measures on the back end to protect that account that you would never be able to do on your own. I'm telling my COO right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So, so you know, uh, Bill.com has been a public company for about a year. And again, I mentioned we have so many entrepreneurs, startup founders uh, uh, that, are, that, are, that, are, that are guests and viewers. Uh, Renee, advice. Uh, what are some of the lessons you've learned uh, based on, you know, successfully, super successfully, uh, you know, going through an IPO and becoming a public company, and perhaps you can share some of those lessons with our yeah. audience. I'm doing fintech on the West Coast because we're going to get fintech on the East Coast in a little yeah. bit. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, right. I think the thing that uh, maybe surprised me and has been a great learning is, uh, I guess there's two things. One is the quality of the executional rigor that investors put into the work that they do. Uh, you know, going back and really understanding the business, asking really strong, good questions that help make me and the team think harder about how we can do more automation and simplify the business even more for more and more customers. And so just, I guess the learning there is that you think it's just a transaction about money, but people don't give you the type of money that they're putting into the public markets without doing a lot of homework. And these people are super smart. And so I think that learning surprised me because you hear a lot of, if you just watch the media out there, you think, okay, it's just a way to get liquid, right? And mm -hmm. it's just a bunch of people trying to make money, watch a movie, that might be what you think. But no, it's not that. Like these people care about what problem we're solving. They think that businesses need innovation. They believe that we're a champion. They think the opportunity to serve them with more automation tools is great. And they want us to win. They want that to happen because they know it's good for the economy and it's obviously going to be good for their financial investment. The other thing that I think has been a great learning is how important character is. And you don't think about that when you think about Wall Street. But I can tell you the number of conversations where people have asked me what motivates me, what is the driving force, how do I think about the employees and the values that I instill in the company and that I lead with, that is not uncommon. It is actually quite common. And even the diligence they do, they went back, the public investors go back, they use LinkedIn, they talk to everybody that's ever worked for me, good or bad. Wow, they, do. They, they, do. They, they know what people say about me. And so I think character matters a lot. And sometimes in society, you don't feel like that, especially in the political environment we're in now, right? Sure, but, sure. but character matters a lot. People do care. They do want to understand you know, what motivates you know, an entrepreneur. And so I think, you know, entrepreneurs can spend as much time as they can on their values and the culture that they're building because it will pay out in dividends for the employees and for the results. And ultimately, investors do care. Superb advice. So know your business and recognize that your own, your, the only universal currency you have is your reputation. So character and your core values and your ethos really is, is, is critically important to your success. Exactly. Great advice. Great advice. So we, we did some research on you and we said, look, it's a four generational entrepreneurial streak. So how's this factored into your journey as a CEO and, and support of SMBs? So, yeah, I think the main thing that factored there's uh, just the passion that came through my parents and grandparents. Right. I mean, hmm. my dad, the dinner table, I call it the dinner table MBA. It's the best type of education. Every it's family, does it. Every yeah. family does do it. Uh, might have to be around business, but whatever the profession is, whatever the, the, the parents are doing, talk about what your life is. Like that is just an awesome thing for the kids to learn from. And they'll learn from it 20 years from now. I'm still learning from the conversations I have when I was you know, 10, 15 yeah. years old. I still think about them. So 
I think the the passion though came through loud and clear. My dad was a very passionate, creative person. He loved solving problems. He loved building solutions for SMBs, and just hearing them talk about the customers, you know, whether it was a restaurant chain or a church or whatever they were serving, hearing that passion from their customer and how they were going to make their their business more successful, that just became instilled in me. And I got it's it's a, it's infectious, it's contagious. It's something that you know when you know that you can make a difference and you know that these people care deeply about their communities, you just want to help them. And so that that's what that's how the four generations factors. I got a chance to just see that firsthand every day and it was great. So cool. That's amazing. I mean, that's that's my next book after the book that comes out in July, uh, Immigrant Values. I think that's the yeah. book I'm gonna talk about. But to carry it four generations out, that is, that is incredible. So, but hey, thank you so much for being on the show. I think Sam Licardo is probably super happy to have another fintech company in San Jose. So uh, congratulations there as well. That's the mayor of San Jose for those who don't know. Uh, but we were here with Bill.com CEO and founder, Rene Lacerte. You can follow him on Twitter at R-L-A-C-E-R-T-E. -E. Thank you so much for being here, sharing your insights. Thank you very much. Have a great thank weekend, you, guys. You too. Take care. Thank you, sir. Take care. Wow, that was awesome. You can sense when you have CEOs that love what they do and they love how they do it. It just it, you can feel it, Ray. It's great. Oh, and, uh, it's, it's our yeah, founders' passion. Absolutely. Well, speaking of founders' passion, our next guest is Flory Marquez, a co-founder of BlockFi, uh, uh, co-founder of cryptocurrency lending platform BlockFi, which allows crypto holders to lend out cryptocurrency at rates as high as eight point six percent. The platform also offer, uh, offers crypto trading services that have raised over 100 million in equity. BlockFi has 100,000 funded accounts and it's on track to earn 120 million uh, in revenue this year. They just launched their first ever Bitcoin rewarded credit card, which we're gonna learn more about. Flory has spent her career managing alternative learning products. This week, three days ago, Flory was named on the Forbes Ooh, 2021 right. 30 under 30 list of influencers in the finance category. Amazing. Ray, you and I have never been on lists like that. Yeah, they'll never awesome. put us on a list like that. Uh, please, <laughs> yeah, yeah. please follow Flory on Twitter at Founder Flory, F-O-U-N-D-E-R-F-L-O-R-I. Welcome, Flory, to Disrupt TV, and congratulations. Hey, Ray. Hey, Bala. It's great to see you guys. It's so great to have you here. And really, I want to know what that conversation was like when you and Zach were coming up with this idea as you guys were thinking about where Block 5 is going, right? I'm sure it happened in some Brooklyn cafe. No, but I don't know. But any idea, like, yeah, <laughs> like, what happened? How did you get here? And what's yeah, we're story? both wearing beanies in a coffee shop. No. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it was actually perfect timing. And I think that one of the things that's incredible about the BlockFi story and our success is it's really true that it's just when hard work meets like luck and opportunity. Um, so three and a half years ago, which is insane because we've been able to build this company that's raised three rounds of capital and we have over 330 employees worldwide today. So we've just done a lot in three years. Um, but I, as you mentioned, I was working for a startup that did loans to small businesses. And my family is originally from Argentina. So one of the things that I noticed kind of going back and forth between Argentina and the U.S. is how easy it is for us in the U.S. to access financial products. Um, yes. Like I know people that have 10 credit cards and the second that you see something with a better reward, you can apply for the other one. And maybe we have like three different savings accounts. And 
we just have like financial products left and right. We have financial products on our phone, things in person. And that's not true for the rest of the world. Um, a lot of people can't even access a secure savings account that can be guaranteed by their governments. So I was always interested in, you know, how can I make the same things that I can access in the US accessible to my family in Argentina? And cut to, you know, three and a half years ago, the company I was working at was getting acquired by Goldman Sachs. And in those conversations, Zach and I had been working together and I sat down um, for coffee with him actually. And he started telling me about this idea that he had to, bridge the worlds of traditional finance and crypto to build basically financial products for crypto. And three and a half years ago, there weren't a lot of no. um, founders or companies bringing financial services to crypto. And so the idea of being able to leverage everything that I knew about financial products and lending and bring it into completely new technology was amazing because I got to use what I knew and also learn about a completely new technology at the same time. And in the back of my mind, um, I always had this mission or this dream that we'd be able to build an app that my family would be able to use in Argentina and access the same financial products that we have here by leveraging the use of crypto. That is amazing because we went from, you know, mining to security standards to ICOs, and we totally missed the whole point of what blockchain and Bitcoin and crypto could do, which is really decentralized access, right? And make it easier for everybody in a secure way. So it's a wonderful story. So. Yeah, it, is, and it really is a wonderful story. For the first time in history, like that's what's really exciting that we can take an asset like a, a stable coin which is like us dollar and send it overseas instantly without having to use a partner bank and in the us um you know we give for granted the fact that the us dollar is relatively stable but in countries like argentina they suffer from hyperinflation which means that the value of their savings goes down day after day without them doing anything yeah so uh, the ability to talk like, uh, more about Sorry, go ahead. Uh, can you talk more about the uh, the banking services uh, and how you were able to bring Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies to the masses? What are some of the banking services that you offer? Yeah, so our mission is to basically make it easy for people who've never used crypto before to use our products. So we offer three things today. The first is an interest account where you can link your bank account to BlockFi through ACH. And um, by depositing with us, it turns into stablecoin and you can start earning 8.6% interest that's paid out on a monthly basis. And if you want, you can trade it into crypto and earn interest on Bitcoin. Um, the other really cool thing about that product is you can actually earn the interest in Bitcoin. So you can deposit dollars and never buy Bitcoin, but earn your interest in Bitcoin. So there's no addition. Exactly. Um, and then the second product is trading, which I mentioned. And then the third product is, you know, if you've accrued a bunch of Bitcoin or other crypto, you can also borrow against those assets starting at interest rates of 4.5%. This is amazing, and, and, right? Bit oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, no, go ahead, Ray. Oh, I was going to say Bitcoin's on this massive run, right? I mean, we, we're sit trading somewhere at 19,000 Bitcoin, almost hitting 20,000, right? We're almost at peak where we were in 2018. But this time there's more on the back end and there are more security controls and product, uh, more into the product that's actually happening. Um, why why the run? What is going on? Like, why are people betting hard on Bitcoin? Is it like everybody else is junking their currency and coming into Bitcoin? Um, or is it the US dollar is weak or like what's going on? And, you know, 
as they say in Argentina, Ray Capato. Like it's amazing. Right? So. <laughs> oh, nice! I didn't know you spoke Spanish. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's when there was a, another run back in 2017, and I actually think that run was a lot closer to like retail investors betting and a lot of the things that you just mentioned. Um, what I understand from this run is that it's actually really exciting and probably much more stable because it's driven by new adoption. So it's driven by large institutions who are starting to become interested in Bitcoin for the first time. So three years ago, companies like PayPal and Square had no interest in Bitcoin and, and they didn't know if this technology would exist years from now. But most recently, like the two big pieces of news to kind of like back up this theory is that um, PayPal, you know, recently made crypto available to their users. And there were some reports that because of that, they bought a ton of Bitcoin to meet the liquidity demands. Yeah, and they the did. Second, yeah. <laughs> and then the second one was um, Square Capital. So they started investing into Bitcoin as a store of value. And so to me, you know, we're still so early in this story. And when you start to see these big players move into the space, it's just a great, you know, marker for our future. You know, Michael Saylor, the uh, founder and CEO of MicroStrategy, put all his <laughs> put all his liquidity into Bitcoin instead of cash. So, I mean, that's uh, another interesting data point for a lot of folks following this. Yeah, and yeah. Jack Dorsey's uh, bio on Twitter is just hashtag Bitcoin. So, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like a you know subtle sign in terms of Square's interest and in, in how institutional investors may be thinking about Bitcoin. Uh, I asked Renee, who's uh, our prior guest, the CEO that has had an incredible successful journey of taking his company uh, public. And, um, uh, you know, what, what are some of uh, you know, the uh, opportunities and roadblocks that you've experienced as an entrepreneur in this rocket ship you've been on the last three years, uh, which, again, uh, led to being recognized by Forbes as one of the top influences in the you know, finance space? Uh, share with us some of the some of the you know uh, lessons learned uh, along the journey. Yeah, so kind of like going into the theme of institutions moving into the space. Um, I'll start with roadblocks. So three and a half years ago, it was really difficult to get um, institutional investors to invest in our company, and that was because um, if we looked at crypto VCs, they didn't have a deep understanding of financial products, and when we talked to the more like fintech focused VCs. They, they didn't understand crypto as an asset class. So our first roadblock as founders was definitely trying to build that initial bridge between traditional finance and crypto um, and really sticking to our guns in terms of, you know, one of the things we did really different, differently was to raise traditional capital to fund this company instead of what was really hot in 2017, which was doing an ICO. Um, and so that's really worked out for our business. And in terms of opportunities, I think the thing that um, I'm most passionate about is just the joy of building a business and creating jobs that people actually like having. Um, so at BlockFi, we just have this incredible culture of um, people who are you know, working together, working really hard. We're incredibly intelligent, but we're also very humble. And it creates this amazing team that's just pumped to be here every day. But I think one of the things that's you know, most important is that I feel that each of our employees knows that they're making an impact on our mm -hmm. business and on, on our future with everything that they do. Um, so in terms of opportunities, I think 
being able to make a difference in people's lives, being being at our employees within BlockFi or overseas by making financial products accessible to people who've never been able to use them before. It's unlike anything else. That is so cool. A conversation three years ago and now responsible for 300 employees is just awesome. Really cool. Yeah, really no, cool. it's amazing growth. So hey, let's talk about the startup scene. Uh, you know, you guys, are you, are you guys in Brooklyn or Manhattan? Are you like Tribeca or Dumbo? So. Um, so we have offices all over the world. We have offices, like our headquarters are in Jersey City. We have offices down in the financial district. Got it. Uh, we, during the during the pandemic, we opened like offices, which will be in person, but in London and Singapore. And actually we have an office in Buenos Aires. So I get to um, go down to visit our engineers, but also see my family. Um, but right now we're all, we've all transitioned to a fully remote environment and, you know, it's been incredible. Our people operations team has done such an excellent job at maintaining our culture, even though we're all far away from each other. And that's been just awesome to see. So it sounds like you're getting some great advice uh, and uh, and hearing from different folks. Are there certain mentors, certain people that uh, you look up to that you're um, you know pulling the inspiration from and pulling some advice uh, in the area? So yeah, I think it's really important for founders to have an outside mentor because we are essentially our own bosses. And while there's no formula for starting a company, and we're really making our own rules and making it up as we go along. Um, having access to someone who's like built multiple companies before is extremely important. So I have a mentor, he's amazing. His name's Brian Kane. I've been, he's a COO who I really admire um, and working with someone who, you know, you look at and you're like, oh, I'd love for my career to, to end up like this person. It's just been really great because, you know, he provides the feedback on what I could be doing and how I could be growing to, to better serve my company. And that's been invaluable. I need a mentor, man. We gotta, we gotta get back to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe they'll have a, a sixty under sixty list. I can yeah, yeah. <laughs> the way we're going. All right, so um, we'll we'll source it from this uh, call, right? Like, if you're if you're out there, DM Ray and let him know if you're open. Yeah, all I need mentors. All I need mentors. Really right. no, absolutely. <laughs> I, need, I need mentor and a sponsor. We had Whitney Johnson, who wrote the best-selling book, "Disrupt Yourself," and career advice. She's a oh, yeah. successful She's venture capital. She said a sponsor is more important than a mentor yes. because a sponsor puts her social capital on the line to advance your career. And so I, I need both mentors and sponsors. Uh, um, <laughs> now, you, uh, growing up in Argentina, how did that affect the way you think about finance, technology? And we can already tell in the first 10 minutes that you have incredible humility and passion about what you do. So talk to us about, you know, the the, the family influence and and influence of Argentina as a whole in terms of shaping how you think and what and how you behave and act today. Yeah, so I was actually the first person in my family to be born in the US. My parents came over in the 80s just because of the instability of the Argentine economy. Um, and I think there's a couple things that um, help shape who I am today. I think the first is definitely having insight into the differences between different countries and recognizing mm -hmm. that um, really how privileged we are in the U.S. to have access to like the services and the goods and everything that we that we use and just we just think it's normal, but it's not for anybody else. Um, and the second, which I think uh, Ray, you may have mentioned or Val, I don't remember uh, earlier, it's just like the immigrant mentality, which is, you know, when you come over here and you're first generation, there's incredible pressure from your parents 
Um, in my case, I had three options. It was to become a doctor, a lawyer, to work in finance. And for a really long time, it's true. We know that story. Or, or engineer. <laughs> yeah, engineer. There you go. Um, but, you know, I was thinking of becoming a lawyer for a while. Um, and I did work in finance for some time. Um, and I think, you know, there's just this level of rigor and excellence mm. that's like required in order to like pave your way here. Um, and that's why I think one of the things, you know, being on the Forbes 30 under 30 list was um, really exciting to me because um, it's something that, you know, while my family in Argentina doesn't understand exactly what I do in terms of financial <laughs> products yet, um, yeah, yeah. they did know what the list was. And that's incredible to me that I could like do something that meant something to them there. Um, it's just been an incredible week. I'm a, I'm a first generation immigrant refugee that abruptly moved to the U.S. because there was a war in my country. And I got to tell you, it's beautiful that, you know, families, parents have such faith in education. You know, again, my parents, you know, uh, they were disappointed that I left uh, after uh, grad school and I didn't finish uh, to a doctorate degree. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and uh, so but, but but I just think that it's so great that they had such faith in education and really pushed myself and my sister to continue to pursue learning, knowing that, you know, it'll help, um, you know, have a better quality life. So it's, it's amazing. No, yeah. it's, it's, go ahead, Ray. Okay. Oh, actually, so like I told you that I started BlockFi when the rest of my team was going to Goldman. And when that transition happened, I remember calling my mom and saying like, hey, like I have the option to like go to Goldman Sachs. And I and that's like every immigrant parent's dream is that your child works at Goldman. And I remember what are you doing, she just what cut are you me doing? off and she was like, yes, yes, yes. And I was like, no, 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 like that's not what I'm doing. Um, and fortunately, like three and a half years later, she she now accepts that it was a good decision. You know, I can see, I can totally <laughs> feel like I know how that conversation went because my parents would have hung up and uh, sent me a note that I've been disavowed forever. No. <laughs> Oh my God! No, it's so true. My up up until 2015, my mom still wanted me to go back to medical school or go to get an MBA. She didn't know what I did. I'm like until I wrote a book. She's like, oh, now I get what you do. <laughs> oh so, but yeah, I am going to write that book, <laughs> Immigrant Values. I'll get you the new one. Um, I'm going to write that book, Immigrant Values. It's not written yet. I know someone uh, asked about you know whether they could get a copy of the book. Uh, no, not yet. I need to write that book. I think I'm going to interview people like you, <laughs> Renee, and other folks. Yeah. Uh, because there's something, there's something to it uh, about those special values that are there. Uh, hey, one last set of questions. And, and really, I want to know, um, just when you think about like where you're going to be five years from now, what does that reach look like? You know, um, I'm definitely getting the credit card like after the show because I, I've been looking at it uh, as we're talking to you prep here because yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great hedge. No, it's a great hedge on, on not only just the dollar and the crypto, the US, the, the dollar crypto wars is real. Right, there's a war on the U.S. dollar, and crypto is coming on the other end, and people are hedging assets for yield, and it's pretty wild. Not that we're on a business show, but but on a finance show, but but the point being is like that's what's happening. So where do you see like five years from now? I mean, like where do you see adoption? Where do you see you know the ability to do peer-to-peer payments off the card, or where do you see you know some of the other things that people are doing, like even to run a smart contract on top with individual personalized contracts? Mm. Right. Yeah. So I'll start with the credit card first, because even aside from, um, you know, theories around like the dollar crypto war, what's really cool about the card um, and you can like sign up for the waitlist now through the BlockFi app 
um, is that oh, shit, on a wait list. <laughs> yeah, get on there. Yeah, and um, yes, you can't swear on Disrupt TV. Shoot, it is shoot. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, instead of it's like any regular credit card, but instead of earning airline miles, which now are even more pointless. You earn 1.5%. Yeah. <laughs> 1.5. There you go. 1.5% cash back in Bitcoin instead. And what I love about it is that it's the first rewards program of its kind where instead of giving you points that fuel more consumer spending, we're giving you an asset that can accrue value over wow. time. Game changer. I have an idea after. I'll tell you after the show when we get into the green room. But this has been awesome and has to do with airline points. So I will share that secret with you. Cool. Uh, He's like an admiral member. Like black limousines pick him up when he lands and take him places. Because, what, 500,000 miles last year? I mean, you're no, talking. Last year was bad. Last year was bad. Um, <laughs> nice to be home. But we're here with Flory Marquez, co-founder of BlockFi. And you follow her on Twitter at FounderFlory on the 30 under 30 list. Congratulations, and we'll talk to you a little bit. So thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you so much. You're terrific. Thank you. This show is flying, man. Like, are we really 40 minutes in? How can we possibly 40 minutes in? <laughs> well, this is our cleanup hitter spot where we typically bring a guest who hits a grand slam and just blows everyone's mind away. <laughs> so it's our privilege to have John Bolin, who's the Chief Innovation Office, Information Officer at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, where he oversees the casino resource IT operations, including management of course systems, infrastructure, networking, collaborative environments, reporting, customer program development, securities, and future innovation. So it's an incredibly large encompassing set of responsibilities. John leads a team of IT professionals to ensure every department in the resort is functioning at its highest efficiency, creating systems and structures to best drive productivity and results. As the CIO, his role goes beyond managing existing operations and is paramount in protecting data security, driving technology advancement, and leading long-term high-impact IT plans that create a greater customer experience. He spent nearly a decade at MGM, MGM Resorts International where he developed and oversaw the guest digital experience and technologies in Las Vegas and Mississippi and De Detroit. He served as vice president of product development and studio operations at NBC Universal as well. So essentially a life committed to digital transformation and improving the stakeholder experience. You can follow John on Twitter at BollenJohn, B-O-L-L-E-N-J-O-H-N. Welcome, John, to Disrupt TV. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, what a great show. I mean, wow, Renee and Flory just outstanding guest. I mean, that was just fascinating. I didn't, I didn't realize 40 minutes went by as well. Like, what? <laughs> you talking about from these people? We just read a, you know, we were in a little casino in Las Vegas. I don't know. Great. It's not a little casino, yeah. but yeah, no, it I, is. But I appreciate it. You're right. It's our fastest hour of the week wow. for Ray and I, for sure. Great stuff. And hey, and, and John, congratulations. You've been a BT150 winner many times. Uh, that's Thank our you. highest award for business transformation. Uh, and, you know, you've taken on big projects. You know, I went to visit with you, uh, you know, um, at the MGM and then at some other places and now at the Cosmo. So what is really going on in Las Vegas, right? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm due to head out there in a few weeks. I don't know if I get to come back to San Jose. I have no idea what's going to go on. But, you know, what's going on? I mean, is it open? Is it closed? Like, should we go in? Like, 
what do we what we're, what's the status yeah you know typical las vegas you know we uh we've seen a lot of things happen over the years you know we had the big recession happen and that's when i was opening city center uh and now you know over at mgm resorts and that was challenging uh this mm -hmm. is challenging and, and vegas always bounces back and, and vegas is open um, you know, we are adapting to ever-changing rules and regulations. We're, we're, we're making sure our employees are safe. We're sanitizing. Uh, there's a mat, you know, when we started reopening back in June, there wasn't a mask mandate. There is a mask mandate now. So people wear masks, employees wear masks. Um, but, you know, people are dining social distance safely. Uh, the rooms are sanitized. Uh, they're, you know, they're gaming safely. There's plexiglass up. Um, you, know, you know, there's weddings. You know, things are happening. I can't tell you just how many people that I know uh, we're planning weddings and um, you know, where they might not have chosen you know, Vegas as the venue before, it sure is now. Um, so, so it's open you know, in, in September. Our governor you know, allowed uh, groups, groups events from 50 to 250. You know, we're adapting, we're, we're, we're making things happen. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we've changed from a big buffet style, you know, in a, in, in a group event to grab and go and, and protected meals. You know, everyone who makes a meal for a, an event is they're wearing gloves and they're wearing masks and everything's sanitized. So, you know, we're making a safe environment for uh, people to, um, you know, come to Las Vegas and enjoy Las Vegas. And, and people are. There's demand. That's, that's great to hear. That's great to hear. And I, I can't think of the immense amount of um, pivot and challenge and responsibility for a CIO when the world in March, at least in the U.S., went from centralized to decentralized and digital only. Um, and the opportunity where you had to, you know, people are tapping on IT's show, uh, door asking how we, they can work from anywhere, how can they stay productive and, and safety become now a brand pillar. You know, you have to as you mentioned, uh, uh, recognize the importance of safety and social distancing and following practice and, and, and CIOs and IT being able to identify, isolate and contact trace in an event there is, uh, you know, a positive outcome. Uh, so tell us about, you know, how are you managing an IT organization when you have all this amount of change and uncertainty and then this massive shift to decentralization uh, and, and then safely reopening and gaining momentum in terms of people trusting the Cosmopolitan brand, knowing that you're leveraging technology to ensure all stakeholder safety. Yeah, you know, great, great question. I mean, some of the projects that we, we uh, embarked on um, were ones that I never thought we would do in IT. You know, we uh, temperature checks, you know, every every employee, <laughs> uh, every employee is scanned before they come in you know, to make your temperature checks, you know, developing. You and I got scanned at a restaurant, remember early? Yeah, right, yeah, right. I went to uh, go get a get noodles one day and uh, we were we were uh, temperature checked before we came in the restaurant, right? When uh, real it wasn't even a greeting. It wasn't even a hi. It was like, oh. no, we were just like, boom. We were, we were scanned. Um, so like we did our employees, you know, all our employees, you know, other things we didn't think we'd do, you know, uh, we created a questionnaire online that people fill out at home, you know, you know, interfacing it. You think about all the interface and APIs and web services. Well, never, sure. never thought that one from ADP was coming, you know, here's your, uh, here's how you log in with these, these questions and uh, check in. And these are all things to, to protect both the, you know, the employee and the, and the workforce. And like you mm -hmm. mentioned, contact tracing. Mm -hmm. um, it also comes down to at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas, we have an amazing management team. Our HR department's called people, the way that they've uh, they, they've motivated and they've, they've rallied and they've mobilized. Uh, we have a whole team that's just dedicated in one of our conference rooms just to uh, make sure uh, contract tracing is done and protocols are, are followed. And, and that's what happens. We uh, we mobilized with a new position in our property where we have um, 
uh, guest ambassadors who are walking around just making sure people are following the protocols and wearing a mask. Wow. You know, so that's 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 a change, right? Yeah. So uh, nice. where we're we're doing a lot of things uh, just to make sure that you know both our our, our people are are safe and, and and the guests are safe, and it it, it really shows. Um, and we pride ourselves on on doing that. And uh, you know, then at, at the same time, as a hospitality company, we love our guests. We love walking around. We love seeing our guests. We love to to say hello to our guests. And it doesn't matter what your department is; you're just happy they're there. And we really embrace our guests. And and so moving to a remote workforce where you know positions like finance and you know technology, IT, software development, you can do these things remotely. We never did that before. That's not in our culture. We we love to be on our property and walk around and right. you know anything from you see a piece of trash on the ground, you pick it up, you know, you we, we pride in that property. We think it's an absolutely, you know, wonderful, wonderful building and, and provides a wonderful, wonderful experience to our guests. And and not to have that, you know, it's it's hard, but you you need the frontline um, people to, you know, we, call, we call our employees co-stars because they're really part of the experience. You know, we need to have them interact with the guest and make the guest feel safe. You know, so that, that's a big change, big pivot. But again, you know, we are a, uh, we are a, a company that provides experiences and, you, and, and has a, you know, physical touch component. So there's a pool. We have an ice rink open right now. When you go on the ice rink, you know, there's, there's fire pits where, you know, people fork and gather around the fire pit. You know, there's always a movie. We take our big marquee sign and we put a movie. I think last night was National Lampoon's uh, Christmas Vacation as people are. <laughs> so I mean, we, we do that every year. But what's different is uh, we installed people counters this year, you know, to really count how many people are there to make sure that we don't overcrowd and we just dis- dis- you know, so this Social again, distance, distance yeah. and and you know so you pivot like that you know the, the, there's table we went from tables of six to tables of four you know in the restaurants you know just to just to keep you know keep the curve down and and make sure people are safe um but it's but it's definitely open and it's definitely uh front and center you know we're we're you know traditionally um this time in the holidays is a slow time but we're we definitely think new year's eve and chinese new year's a big event the super bowl I, you know i think people will be coming back and and safely and i hope uh, you know, everyone uh, travels safely, observes the mask rules, and and that they also, you know, there's there's, there's hope. There's like the tunnel that you know the vaccine will come, and and you know, hopefully 2021, you know, we we get back to normal. We're definitely we definitely see the demand out there. We definitely know people want to people want to travel. People want to, but they want to do it safely. They want to do it responsibly. I, I I view CIOs as really a, a group of superheroes during this pandemic because. You know, I've been in the technology space for 20 plus years, and I have the opportunity and privilege to talk to the smartest people in the world. But in January, if you had asked me what's contact tracing, I wouldn't have a clue. I would not have no idea what's contact tracing. When you talk about like social distance, PPEs, like oh, all no. these acronyms I was learning. But, so, but, but you, the CIOs, had to learn in real time and then take this new knowledge and apply new workflows, apply new policies, lean into technologies to expand it the contextual intelligence we had in terms of a safe environment and how we could gain the loyalty and trust of our stakeholders. You had to actually learn and do and show tangible proof that there was a safe environment for employees to come back to and and do that uh, really at, at breakneck speed. So I, again, I, I just think it's one of the hardest jobs in the pandemic has been for the technology leaders to help businesses really deal with this once in a lifetime experience that all three of us have, have had to face. And all of us face the pandemic, but all in different ways. And when you have lo- location dependent jobs, um, it's even that much more important for information and technology leaders like yourself to really help reinvent 
how you engage with your, your, your customers and your employees. So it's just, you know, it's, I mean, sorry, Ray, I'm just, I'm just in awe of no. good, smart, successful CIOs. Uh, it, and it's amazing how all, all our departments have, have pivoted, you know, and taking their tools that are technology based and really change those to support, you know, again, the, the, the guest experience as well as the employee experience. Uh, some examples of that is, you know, we, we always thought, you know, hey, paper, paper menus are so important. Paper menus are so important. Now we've gone to QR codes, you know, on a roadmap is, you know, doing a room service on your phone, you know, those, those type of things or remote, remote food ordering or paying your bill with your phone, you know, in a QR code and charging to your room, all on our roadmap of things that we want to do. And, you know, before, you know, Putting a QR code on a table wasn't you know, wasn't considered luxury. wasn't considered luxury. You know, now it's a requirement. Another one that's great is we have a great marketing department. Tom Evans runs it. Yeah, he's uh, and he really developed a program that that's supported by technology called Rose. And you go in and you have a chat bot, which you can do anything in the property with the chat bot. Rose, you know, it's, it's wow. her name Rose. So you you hey, I'm here. Okay, what do you want to do? Hey, I want to I want to go. So we ask you. We don't we don't try to you know use that data to figure out your next move. Just ask the customer, okay? Who to do that? They want to do it. Well, that's a crazy, crazy talk. So, uh, you know, and, and, and we turn that Rose platform as as really using the contactless communication. You know, hey, are you aware of these events? Here are the restaurants that are open today. Here's when they're open. Here's when they close. You know, so we we took you know our our innovation with the, the chatbot and you know interaction and really made it a communication protocol uh, and tool to communicate with the guest. Our surveillance team, you know, in terms of you know what they do and they really they keep the game honest. You know, they make sure no one's cheating, you know, right. anywhere. And they keep you know they keep the integrity of the game uh, for the gaming environment and, and, and working with our uh, gaming board control board, which is really, really important as a licensed um, business. You know, right. we have the privilege to have this gaming license. And you know, they turn their surveillance to do contact tracing you know, both you know in terms of yeah so, nice. so they pivoted right so they, they they took on a huge workload you know I, I mentioned our people uh department doing the contact tracing and the technology departments you know really working and in, in, in using the technology in new ways that keep people and in, in, in employees safe you know so really it's interesting and, and just phenomenal how you know with the changing regulations and the changing guidelines you know just how you're taking the existing tools and using them in ways that you know, not being myopic to say this does one thing, but how can we really use the tools that we have and do different things to make a better environment? How much do you think the entertainment industry has accelerated digital transformation as a result of pandemic? We had McKinsey, uh, a principal on the show, and he said, for example, they've had 10 years of e-commerce adoption in the last four or five months as an example of massive acceleration. So would you have expected Rose, the virtual assistant, to be adopted so quickly, so widely, if the pandemic hadn't occurred, or or, or 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 are there other elements where you've seen again incredible adoption of technology much much sooner than you had anticipated in your CIO roadmap of the future? Yeah, well, it definitely in, in the hospitality world, you know, I think um, you know, def definitely when new new things are are provided with their technology based, you know, we always want to provide you know digital in the hospitality space should feel like uh, shouldn't replace I should say yes. service you know and when, when you bump into digital you should feel like you're getting just as great a service as you do at our front desk or at our concierge or you know at our at our, at our you know from one of our co-stars you, you should really feel like you're not losing anything and I think uh, people sought that out um, you know where there's uh, sometimes 
there's a learning curve. How do you do? How do I use this technology? How do I download an app? How do I interact with it? Um, you know, there's the novice to the experienced person. You know, I think that that willingness for adoption, you know, the willingness to say, "Oh, you have a QR code. I'm I'm going to use that. Oh, you have a you have a you you have a touchless um you, you know chatbot named Rose that provides me with information, and I I'm very comfortable adopting that because I might not want to seek out someone and speak with them. I want to I want to self discover my journey while I'm in Las Vegas. Um, so a lot of those things, yes, I, I see that adoption happening, and and just other technologies, as we as we mentioned, you know, I think we're all we're we're all so used to video conferences now, and and again, like I said, our culture is just one of interacting with the guest and each other. You know, that's how we check in. That's how that 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 is part of our just DNA of what we want to do is we want to you know we want to see the guest, we want to talk to the guest, make sure the guest is having a great time, and we want to talk to each other. You know, it's just that's how hospitality is. You know, you want to. You really, really, really want to have those uh, interactions with people. Makes sense. Yeah, no, that's amazing. We're seeing the shift. We're seeing the adoption. You get, you've been in the forefront of this. And uh, more importantly, I mean, this is changing the whole notion of what a CIO does. So, mm. so we need to get together with the other CIOs in Las Vegas and then talk about what's next. Like what, what's on their list for 2021? What's happening? You know, I think um, we all want to see we, we we all want to see some state of, of normalcy. So I think you know mm. one is just uh, we use the word occupancy a lot. You know, to, to see people be able to come to increase occupancy to have people feel you know safe. Sure. Um, you know, conventions as I think you know everyone you're probably watching the show has been to a convention whether it was CES or some other oh, big sure. show, right? Sure. Um, a lot of the sponsors you know that, that we interact with. Uh, you know, they come and they have their customer events. We, we, we'd love to see that, you know, return. I think we're all, we've all done the virtual events and, and, and it's, it's interesting, but you miss some of that interpersonal communication, the sidebars, you know, the, the meeting of people, the contacts that, you know, you hold for life. Uh, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're wanting to see that come back. And then when we see it come back, you know, we, we want to make sure it's done safely. So one of the things that we do is we're, we're imagining having a convention, you know, so people can have a convention today up to 250 people. What if it's larger? What if people want to go to the convention, but they might not want to be in the convention room? Well, we're going to stream to your TV. If you're in a group code and you come in, your t your guest room can be part of the convention. Why not? Nice. You know, nice. it's IPTV. You know, you sure. get a camera up there, we'll stream directly to your TV and you're in the convention and maybe you don't want to be in the big crowd, but you want to be there and what feels safe to you. Well, we'll accommodate that have the be at the convention stay at the property you know stream the convention to your guest room and when you need to go to a more intimate event or maybe that's a dinner or something you feel safe go do that yeah. do it safely yeah absolutely i was at ces ray and i uh january of this year and uh feels like a decade ago but Doesn't it? yeah it really yeah. does it really, i had to remind myself oh my god i was at a, the world's largest conference uh, in Las Vegas in January, but you're right. You know, when you're launching a new product, you're meeting with customers, partners, business development, ideation. You just can't. You know, you need that in-person engagement uh, to really, you know, make things happen and 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 uh, get excitement and inspire people and educate people. And virtual is just, it's you know, it's 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 just not going to be an a, a effective substitute. So hopefully we can get back to the normalcy because I I sure miss. The in-person meetings and the food, <laughs> you know, when you're with Ray, oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you always eat like a champion. Yes, you do. So. <laughs> he, he does every good restaurant, you know, coast to coast, you know. <laughs> we both grew up in the Bay Area or, or we had, have roots in the Bay Area. So uh, going going to a Chinese restaurant with Ray, we took the mom. Oh, oh, man, it was the best experience ever. Didn't Palo Alto, I'll tell you. 
And I never order. I just defer yeah. to Ray. I'm there like, I'll eat whatever yeah. he gets. It's wonderful. Actually, no, John, no. Grand Slam, John. Thank you Grand so Slam. much, John. Thank you so much. We are with legendary CIO John Boland, BT150 winner, Chief Information Officer of the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. Um, and you can follow him at B-O-L-L-E-N-J-O-H-N. I'll see you in a few weeks, man. So take care. Absolutely. Thank Thanks you, for being John. The show. Thank you. Wow. Another, like, what just happened? We could, talked, <laughs> we could have talked to all three guests for the entire hour. Uh, I just feel like the there's so many time. great stories <laughs> and lessons that they have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, too bad you and I can't convince people to do, have this be a three-hour show. Um, <laughs> but uh, next week, we have episode 216. Uh, we just passed our 660th interview. So uh, in the last four years, next week, we actually have four guests. We have Dave Anderson, digital evangelist at Dynatrace. We have Laura Dorian, managing director of Silicon Valley Data Capital. We have Andrew Hall, founder and chief executive at Lumsden Partners. And we have Marty Marcin-Zick, GM and founder at Helm, a Comcast company. So uh, buckle up, bring up your bring your popcorn, because next week it's going to be even faster paced with four guests. Ray, closing remarks on episode 215 and what's ahead. And by the way, I just saw on multiple categories your new book as the number one book in I don't know, business, technology, leadership. I saw it on Amazon, number one book. And uh, I can't wait for my physical copy, my friend. <laughs> But congratulations, you're already a bestseller. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, no, hey, thank you. And uh, I'm going to clarify that. It's it's number one for new upcoming bestsellers um, in the three categories. Um, it's going to change. It's a daily thing. I'm sure it's going to be dropped by the time it's released in July. But thank you to everybody out there uh, for supporting the book. It's called uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in an Age of Digital Giants. Uh, and it'll come out officially in July. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that then. Um, you know, closing thoughts. Oh my God, I can't believe 2021 is coming. I am so excited. I'm sure everybody is um, to put an end to it. What a crazy year uh, <laughs> in all different ways. So, so I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, and Bala, I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't wait to really have some downtime like in the holidays. I think this this will really be downtime holidays where people actually do shut down and, and actually think uh, because it's for the people who are working, they're working doubly hard. For those who are looking for a job, I, I hope you find something. Um, and, and I hope, you know, people who are out there to help out but it's been a crazy year for those people who are working and it's just yeah. unbelievable yeah so. i mean you, you and i haven't had time off all year uh, and uh, again we're fortunate great gratitude for what we do and the people that we get to learn from but uh, i really do sincerely hope that people find some time to decompress in the last perhaps week of the year yes um, and uh and uh so we can start fresh uh, in 2021. And, and as, as John said, get back to some level of normalcy next year. Uh, really looking forward to that. We'll see you guys all next week. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern for the live broadcast. And of course, catch us in all streaming mechanisms from LinkedIn to Periscope, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn Live, and of course, on YouTube. So thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.